0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lee Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. A lot of people agree to have sex that they don't truly want or desire. I'm not talking about non-consensual sex here. Wanting sex and consenting to sex are totally different things. For example, you might agree to do something sexual with your partner, even though you're not 100% in the mood, because it makes you happy to see them happy. As long as your partner is willing to do the same thing for you in return, this can actually be good for the relationship, as my guest Dr. Amy Muse discussed on the show way back in episode 33. However, when this becomes a one-sided thing, whether in the context of a long-term relationship or dating a series of people, then it's a problem you deserve to get what you want and be in control of your body, your pleasure, and your sexual health. But to do that, you have to be sexually empowered. You have to know what it is that you want in the first place and be able to communicate about what you want as well as what you don't want. However, a lot of us feel unable to do this or really struggle with it. So let's talk about sexual empowerment. In today's show, we're going to discuss what it means to be sexually empowered. How to build up your sexual self-confidence, how to ask for what you want, as well as how to say no or express that you want something else. Dr. Tara is back to give us tips on sexual empowerment. She is an associate professor of relational and sexual communication at California State University, Fullerton. Dr. Tara is also a sex and relationship coach and host of the podcast Love Bites. This conversation is going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to give you a lot of practical takeaways. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. The Modern Sex Therapy Institutes provides continuing education, certifications, and a PhD in sexology to mental health and medical professionals across the globe. MSTi is a one-stop shop for ASEC sex therapy certification requirements, including education, sexual attitude reassessment, and supervision. MSTi offers flexible payment plans and learning options attend from anywhere in the world, and learn from experts on sex and relationships. For more information on their programs and offerings, visit Institutes.com. That's Institutes.com. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University has been investigating issues of sex, gender, and relationships for 75 years. To commemorate the Institute's 75th anniversary, they will be hosting events all throughout the year, including art exhibitions, research lectures, a book club, dance performances, and much more. Visit their website at kinseyinstitute.org or follow them on social media for the latest details. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Kinsey Institute. Let's talk about sexual empowerment. As a starting point, Tara, let's define sexual empowerment because this is one of those terms that can mean different things to different people. So, for example, some people define empowerment as an internal state, as having the power to do something, but other people see it as an external state, as having power over something. So, how do you see sexual empowerment? What does this term mean to you?
1: I think it's both. For me, sexual empowerment is both internal and external. The internal part is that self-knowledge and self-esteem. And then the external part is the self-confidence that you project and then communication with others and how you show up in places. So when people say like, like whoa, you just talk about sex like that at dinner? I'm like, yes, I'm unapologetic about what I desire, what I want, and the ability to talk about it. And therefore, that to me is the external part of sexual empowerment. And then the internal part is knowing internally, like knowing myself really well, what are some things that turn me on, how to turn myself on, how to get into the sexual mood. All of that is, to me, sexual empowerment, internal and external.
0: Thanks for sharing that. There's a paper on sexual empowerment I really like that was authored by Kinsey Institute researcher, Dr. Zoe Peterson, a few years ago. And it describes sexual empowerment as being this multidimensional concept. And it takes place on a continuum where we become more empowered over time through our learning and experience, but simultaneously in different situations, we might feel more or less empowered. So it's kind of like a sliding scale. And I think that's kind of a helpful way to think about this. So even if you consider yourself to be a really sexually empowered person, you might find yourself in situations where you don't feel that same level of empowerment. So there are so many different aspects of empowerment that are important to consider. And one of them is kind of that internal portion, the, you know, feeling good about your body and how you look, which I think we covered pretty well in our previous discussion about dating and, you know, sort of how you can build up your self-confidence through journaling and body appreciation and things like that. So let's talk about empowerment in the context of feeling good about your sexual desires. So in my research on sexual fantasies, a common fantasy and desire reported by men and women alike is sexual submission. But across genders, a lot of people feel really conflicted by this desire. So I hear from a lot of women who think that they're quote-unquote bad feminists because they're turned on by submission or forced sex because they think that being a feminist means being powerful at all times. But by the same token, I hear from a lot of men who want to explore their submissive side, but they don't feel like they can do so because it's inconsistent with these traditional ideas of masculinity. So basically, you've got a lot of people across genders who are judging their own fantasies and desires, and that gets in the way of them getting what it is that they want, which is the opposite of empowerment. So how can we come to terms with our desires in order to get more of what we want out of sex?
1: You know, I find that Question really interesting. And like I told you before, I've read your book multiple times and I find it really interesting because I do have, you know, the forced sex fantasy and group sex fantasy and like the top five. I feel like I can see myself like fantasizing it and getting turned on by it. The first thing that came to my mind when it comes to be- becoming more comfortable with your own sexual fantasy is this thing that you also talk about in your book is a fantasy doesn't mean you want it in real life. Like, for example, like rape fantasy. A lot of women are either like ashamed or very uncomfortable by the fact that do, they do think about rape as like, like a turn on, right? I think a part in your book, there's a, a part that says that just because you have these fantasies and a sexually active mind doesn't mean you want certain things in real life. Like, of course, there will be things that you want in real life, right? Like threesomes, you may want that in real life. But I don't, you know, necessarily think that there's, anything wrong with wanting anything in real life. But when it comes to becoming more comfortable, I want to share my personal story about like becoming more sexual than before. When I was just like five years ago, I was very sexually anxious. I didn't ever ever communicate my sexual fantasy, my desires, my preference. I didn't even like having my partner going down on me. And I rarely ever request it. I don't even think I requested it once. So I was very sexually anxious. And the things that I've done to become more comfortable with all of these sexual desires is gaining self-knowledge about what it is that I truly want. And then also try sexual meditation. And you're familiar with Dr. Lori Brado's work on the meditation intervention, like the experiments. They work for lots of uh, women and men in terms of sexual functioning and desires and stuff. So for me, I started sex meditation two years ago, and I have never stopped. And through these guided sex meditations, I learn a lot about myself and my body and becoming comfortable with what it is that I want sexually. And it's okay to want those things and communicate your desires and wants. So I would say that the method that has worked for me is sexual meditation and and self-exploration.
0: Yeah. And I think you're right. This is something that can work for a lot of people. And Lori Brado is a previous guest on the podcast. We've talked about some of her mindfulness interventions. And so you can check out my previous interview with her if you want to learn more about that. And she has a great book called Better Sex Through Mindfulness that can help with dealing with a lot of different types of sexual difficulties. But mindfulness fundamentally is about having this present moment, nonjudgmental awareness. Mm -hmm. And you know, it gets at what we were talking about here where so many of us are We're so hard on ourselves all the time. Yeah, we're judging. Yes, including when it comes to what it is that we want and what turns us on. And we need to find ways to release those feelings of shame. So different things can work for different people. Certainly part of it can also be just educating yourself and learning about how the things that you're turned on by, you're not the only person who has those fantasies, Mm -hmm. right? So just sort of normalizing and expanding your definition of sex can be helpful in all of this. And I think it's also important to recognize that sometimes the things that turn us on might not be politically correct or they might Mm -hmm. be taboo. And the person who we are in the bedroom is different from the person who walks around in everyday life. And, you know, for example, you can be a feminist who is a supporter of women's rights, who believes women, who respects and stands up for women in your everyday life. And you can also be submissive in the bedroom, right? These things don't have to be at odds with one another. But I think a lot of people just kind of feel this pressure to kind of, you know, be the same person in and out of bed in all ways. And that's where I think we start to run into some trouble.
1: I love when you say that because it really goes along with the saying, like, we are multifaceted. We are multifaceted human beings. And to say that, you know, oh, like, I have to be this way in all aspects of life. I feel like it lacks this um needed human ability, like agility the flexibility that is needed to be like, you know, a functioning adult in our society. One thing that I do want to say about confronting or talking about sexual desires and fantasies is as a society, we need to, and I, <laughs> I feel like people that listen to your podcast definitely already know this, but there's so many people that don't. And so if you're listening, like, please tell everyone around you to stop doing this is verbally, And they do this subconsciously. They just blurt it out, verbally judging other people when they say what they like. So for example, like in school, I remember saying, I don't know, like sometimes I think about like having a guy like, you know, like forced having sex with me and like maybe like pull my hair and slap me. And then she went like, ew, Tara, like that's so gross. And so ever since then, I was like, whoa, what's wrong with me? Like obviously after reading your book nothing's wrong with me. But right like if you say that to a friend that you know starts talking about sex and get giddy it in like sexual communication and you shoot them down, that's going to like make them feel bad about their desires and even just communicating about sex in general for a long time. And I mean I've worked a lot on myself through, you know, meditation and self-exploration and, and reading and learning, listening to podcasts. But I feel like if you were let's say 21 and you do say like oh like i would love to try (laughs) gangbang because you saw it on in porn and your friends like ew what's wrong with you what a slut move how are you gonna feel later right so i think as a society we all need to like not give negative feedback when it comes to other people discussing their sexual desires
0: yeah, I think that's so true and so important. You know, as some people in our field like to say, don't yuck someone else's yum, right? Yes. And so many people do shame other people for their sexual desires and I don't know that that's necessarily their intention I think it's more sort of their oftentimes their gut reaction coming out that I'm really not into that and I kind of need to express my revulsion to it and it's like they're not realizing how shaming that is and how hurtful it can be to someone else you know for example I've heard a lot of people and I've seen this on social media where somebody will say something like oh can you believe that person is in an open relationship or that person has this kinky sexual interest or whatever and it's like this sort of public shaming of this other individual that stems from their own discomfort with that idea and it's like you don't have to be into non-monogamy you don't have to be into kinky sex but you don't have to shame it either right so telling your partner what you want is part of sexual empowerment but a lot of people don't feel empowered to communicate about their wants now we've been talking about sort of how to set the stage for this by feeling good about yourself but how do you actually go that next step of communicating about your wants to a partner? So do you have any tips on sexual communication?
1: Yes. Uh, Love this question. Sexual communication is the course I teach at Cal State Fullerton. (laughs) Uh, So when it comes to sexual communication, I think that the first thing to consider is the atmosphere in your relationship. There are some relationships that's just generally so toxic. Like, For you to even try to talk about sex, like it's not gonna solve a lot of issues because your relationship has so much, like so many issues. So it's always good to audit your relationship first. Are you guys in a space to even talk about sex or do you have to fix other things first? Right? So audit your relationship. What are some of the pain points? What are some of the things that they do that really annoys you that are not providing safety and comfort? and then go with what are some of the things that you would like more of, and then start approaching that way. But let me give you a specific example. So if you're in a, I call it a like regularly functioning relationship. And most of the times you're happy with your relationship, but there's this one thing sex that is kind of uncomfortable to talk about. Not necessarily a negative thing. You're both like could be open to it, but just no one has talked about sex. Like the relationship has never seen the topic of sex. I would say start by like fun games like fun sex games, like intimacy games. Nowadays, there's so many card games. Do you have a card game, Dr. Lee Millar?
0: I don't have one. I really need to make my own because I got some ideas. You for are it. someone that would have a card game. <laughs> I know. You know, when Tell Me What You Want came out, I just thought, oh, this is my book coming out. I'm just going to write a new book every couple of years or something. I haven't gotten around to writing the next book because I didn't realize like all of the other things that were going to come along with becoming the fantasy person. And so, <laughs> you know, it sort of led to all of this other outgrowth in my career. And, you know, something that's on the list in the future is the card games and the board game and things you can do because, yeah, it's just untapped potential there. But anyway, yes, I totally agree with you that games can be a great way for starting these conversations.
1: Yes, people uh, love having, like playing games and just having fun, right? Uh, Like no one would say, I hate having fun. (laughs) So people love having fun. Try, uh, start with a game. So get a card game or there is this app called Scratch Adventure and it has like games on it that you can do like sex game if you want to try app if you're not a, a card kind of person so either way try to find a game and start with that like hey uh saturday night do you want to like open a bottle of wine and play some intimacy games i think that would be a great start into lubing your <laughs> using lube lubing your relationship into sexual communication if you've never had it before now if talking about sex is something that kind of happens already but not like thoroughly to the point, I would schedule a sexy check-in and I would ask these questions. One, how are you feeling about our sex life right now? And if it's hard for the other person to describe it, go from one to 10. How do you feel about our sex life right now? And I ask my partner this like every month. So it's like, it becomes very common in our relationship to just talk about sex out of the blue. I just go in the morning, we're drinking coffee. How do you feel about our sex life right now? From one to 10, right? And they'll say some numbers. You can always go, you know, I want you to be completely honest and I'm going to be completely honest because I want us to have a really good sex life, right? Mutual goals. So let's say if they say seven Then you go, like, how can, what can I do to help you get to eight? One point. Remember incremental goals, small goals. (laughs) Like, what can I do? What can we do? What can you do to? get to 8. And I think that this kind of sexy check-in in which I do regularly uh, has really really helped me and my partner explore all of these other sexual desires that we have that we haven't communicated prior because he might go I might go 8 and then he's like how what can I do to make it a 9. I'm like, well, I kind of want to try, you know, a threesome with another guy. You know, that would make it a nine. Like, if you're in a more adventurous relationship, then you're able to say that through sexy check in because the relationship has been set up that way. So, I would say games first. If you're a beginner, sexy check in for intermediate, and then share all kinds of things that you would like in advance.
0: Yeah. And I agree with everything you said. So do a sexy check-in with your partner. So it's really important in this process of sexual empowerment to be able to express what it is that you want. But it's also important to be able to say what you don't want. We need Mm -hmm. to feel empowered to say no or when something doesn't feel good. But no is sometimes the hardest word to utter during sex. In fact, people often find it easier to say yes sex than to say no, because it sometimes feels easier to go through with something we don't really want than to try and explain our way out of it. We might be afraid of hurting somebody else's feelings. We might want to avoid an awkward conversation. We might worry about how that other person sees us, or we might even worry that saying no could potentially put us in a dangerous situation. And obviously these are all different things, but we all need to learn how to better assert ourselves and say no when there's something Something we don't want sexually, whether it's with a partner or you're in a public setting and somebody touches you inappropriately. You know, I'm thinking, for example, of how this has happened to me so many times in my past life, where you know Ooh. somebody comes behind you in a bar and grabs your ass. And my younger self let people get away with this because I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to assert my boundaries in that particular setting. Now, you know, I sure as hell stand up for myself when right. uh, something happens that I don't want. But I think this is something that anyone of any gender or sexual orientation can deal with? You know, whether it's with a long-term partner in one of these public settings, how do you say no? How do you get past the difficulty of that word?
1: I think it goes back to self-esteem because again, self-esteem is how you see your self-worth, right? When you work towards feeling really comfortable about who you are and feeling really good about who you are, I think you have a little bit higher capacity to verbalize no. And as I'm sure, like most of us, we grow in terms of self-esteem, right? It gets hard to be a 17-year-old and have like high self-esteem because you just don't know much. But for people that are listening, I would say the number one thing that has helped me and my clients in communicating no to their partners is to communicate what other alternatives they would like to explore. Now, that becomes much more conversational and a dialogue rather than just saying no. I think people are uncomfortable especially in a relationship to say no to their partner is they're afraid their partner will take rejection the wrong way, that they don't love them, that they don't ever want to try something and they also it's social desirability, right? They don't want to be seen as boring, as not trying. So I would say, uh, saying, well, I'm not really into that right now, but here's something that I think we can explore. It's always easier to say no.
0: Yeah, so maybe it's not necessarily in the context of a relationship with a long-term partner. Maybe it's not necessarily about saying that word no, but it's finding some way of communicating the same idea so that you're extracting yourself from that situation you don't want to be in and putting yourself in one that you really do want to be in so that's a i think helpful creative way to think about it now in terms of no with these scenes creeps, and, the
1: creeps. yeah
0: with creeps like that's that's a different thing um you know the considerations there are different you know when it's with a long-term partner you don't want to hurt their feelings and so forth with a stranger you don't necessarily care about their feelings but asserting yourself and your boundaries publicly privately it's a really hard thing. And I think it just underscores the importance of why we need more of this in our sex education. And that's why I love the model that they have in the Netherlands with their approach to sex ed, which really begins with understanding your boundaries and how to assert them. And we just don't do that here in the US. And so I just think there's so many more opportunities for this.
1: Yeah. Sex ed here is really sad. (laughs)
0: It's sad in a lot of ways. Now, another aspect of empowerment is feeling in control of your body, including your reproductive health. And this has a few dimensions to it, right? That includes control over safer sex practices, right? But it also includes having control over what happens to your body if, say, an unintended pregnancy results. And in a time when access to abortion is no longer a guarantee in the United States, that's been a blow to sexual empowerment for a lot of women. So can you speak to how access to contraception and abortion plays a role in sexual empowerment?
1: I mean, it's a huge part and research show that, you know, that goes along with your sexual agency, right? Your sexual agency is knowing your options and uh, the ability to acquire that option. So now that that is taken away for some people, how do we, uh, again, like gain back this feeling like you do have agency over your own sexuality is to me, it's more important than ever that parents and family like get involved in this like sex positive movement. For those of you that are listening that have kids, I would say, talk to your kids, have a dialogue about what they think sex is, what is the sexual activity, you know, have a dialogue about sex with your kids so that they feel empowered to make the right choices and the ability to be on birth control as well like if you're in a culture where doesn't allow for birth control that's something that you'll have to reconcile by either number one (laughs) finding a way to get it or number two like be extremely careful when it comes to engaging in penetrative sex that can result in pregnancy. Right. And I think that's the the behavioral change is like kind of the only way to help yourself feel more empowered that you are in control of the sexual like outcomes that may come to you. It's really sad. It's a big blow. I remember when like that was announced and it's everywhere on social media, that was a really shitty day.
0: Yeah, it was for a lot of people. And, you know, being in control of your sexual outcomes, you know, whether we're talking about STIs or unintended pregnancy or whatever else. That is so important in this conversation because if you don't feel like you have that control, that can make the prospect of sex seem really scary. And then mm-hmm. if you do end up having sex, that can make it really hard to relax and to be in the moment. Oh, yeah. So I think this is a you know huge thing in a lot of different ways. Now... We're running short on time, but I have another important question for you about this topic, which is how you can tell the difference between sexual empowerment and validation seeking. So sometimes these things go hand in hand, but sometimes we mistake one for the other. For example, consider a sexy photo or thirst trap posted on social media. You know, that could potentially be a sign of self-confidence and empowerment, but it could also potentially be a sign of insecurity and a need for validation. So we sometimes look at the things that other people are doing and we label them as acts of sexual empowerment when that's not really what they are. And then sometimes that gives us a messed up idea about what we think we need to do ourselves to be sexually empowered. (laughs) So I'm curious for your thoughts on this, Tara. How do you know what sexual empowerment should look like for you? And when is something an act of empowerment versus attention seeking behavior?
1: I usually go with comfort. Something that is really good for you is comfortable for you. So no, you don't have to wear lingerie and post a photo of yourself on Instagram to show that you are sexually empowered uh, if it doesn't feel good for you. But if it feels good for you, hell yeah, do it. You know, because you can be unapologetic and you can do uh, what doesn't hurt anybody if you feel good about that. So this seems like something a little woo-woo, but <laughs> I think I our bodies tell us a lot about how we feel, right? Like how if you hold stress in your like shoulders, neck, your tummy. For me, if someone asks me to do something and my tummy like is starting to get tight and I don't feel good about this particular thing, then I would say that's anti-sexual empowerment. And I would communicate that that's not something I want to do. So again, to see like seeking validation versus sexual empowerment, you can't really tell if other people are actually truly sexually empowered. Because again, there's that internal factor that you'll never know. It's how they express themselves, which is sexual confidence. Uh, It's how they express themselves that shows you that the only one part of their sexuality. So yeah, you may see a photo of someone in their lingerie and you're like, whoa, they're so sexually empowered, but actually internally they feel super insecure. They don't have good sex. They're not generous lovers. So that could be the case as well. But I think the question that's really important is, do you feel sexually empowered doing different things and only caring about what feels good for you rather than kind of like, well, is she sexually? empowered who cares you know like who cares maybe she is maybe she's not just whatever feels good for you do that
0: yeah so what this means is that sexual empowerment can look different for different people and you don't have to post the thirst traps to show or demonstrate to the world that you're sexually empowered if that does make you feel empowered and that makes you feel good great, you know, you can do that. But if you're putting those photos out there and if they don't get the reaction or response that you think they're going to, you know, you don't get enough likes for it. And then that becomes like this thing that becomes very bad for your self-esteem. You know, that's not really empowerment. You know, that's attention-seeking behavior. That's insecurity sort of masked as empowerment. So I think you need to ask those questions to yourself of why am I doing this? What am I getting out of this? And how do I want to feel? So the more that you can tap into that stuff, the better. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Tara. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work?
1: This was so much fun, Justin. Thank you for having me. You can find me on my website, lovebites.co. That's L-U-V-B-I-T-E-S.co. All my information's on my website.
0: Thank you again for your time, Tara. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and SexAndPsychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Lehmiller and Instagram at Justin J. Lehmiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.